Good evening, church. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 129. We're just going to continue our series uh, preaching through the Psalms of Ascents. And we have finally arrived here to Psalm 129. Let us give careful attention to the reading of God's Word. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would be present with us this evening through the preaching of your word as you have promised. Lord, comfort those who are in affliction. God, prepare those who you have given a rest from affliction. Prepare them for when affliction does come. Christ himself has promised that the church would be afflicted. So God, we pray here that you would comfort us in that affliction. Convict us for how we wrongly respond to conviction, to affliction. Lord, and encourage us this night. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture speaks of affliction in the Christian life. In fact, it, it promises it. Afflicted by sin, by harm from others, loneliness, grief, the world. Scripture promises that we will be afflicted. The psalm begins with an honest assessment of affliction for God's people. So we have a lot to learn from this psalm. But before we get started, we have to note that this psalm is an Old Covenant text. The Old Covenant was a material and earthly covenant. God's blessings of the people were a land, right? A nation, His deliverance was earthly as well, right? The exodus. Even his judgment of the people was earthly. It was was exile, as we've seen in the book of Daniel. And so in the Old Covenant, affliction was earthly and material as well. They were afflicted by the nations and war and disunity within Israel. And that's what the psalmist writes of here. But the New Covenant is different. God's blessings are spiritual, Right? His deliverance is not a nation, but forgiveness. Forgetting what covenant you are under. Forgetting what, what covenant this text is under. This is massively important for us to remember. Forgetting this leads to one of two errors. You will see the end of persecution as the real source of your joy. Or you will judge God's favor according to your circumstances. So you'll expect God to deliver you from persecution, which he has not promised to do, or you will think you're under judgment when really you're just living the Christian life, suffering as Christians do. The earthly affliction in this psalm 
serves as a type. It serves as a, a foreshadowing of our afflictions in the new covenant. And so the earthly deliverance here points to none other than Jesus Christ. If you read this psalm expecting that God will, will end your trials, you will be sorely disappointed for the rest of your life. How do we respond to affliction? This is where this question of, of covenant theology matters. How do you respond to affliction? Do you expect an easy end to your trials? Does your sorrow and sadness and hurt lead you to doubt God's favor and goodness? His kindness to you? Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Our affliction, typified and foreshadowed in the affliction of Israel, must be combated not with earthly means, not with earthly expectations, but spiritual warfare. Be combated not by sight, but by faith. This psalm gives us an earthly picture of Israel living by faith and not by sight. They're afflicted. Right? In the midst of their affliction, though, they recall God's deliverance. They look forward to the day when God would bring an end to his enemies. And in this way, this old covenant psalm speaks to even new covenant Christians today, reminding us of our afflictions through types and shadows and prophesying of the redemption we now have in Christ. This psalm teaches us to live by faith and not by sight, through our afflictions, by the grace of God, and in hope of glory. The first step in living by faith and not by sight is an honest view of our afflictions. This brings us to our first point this evening, an honest view of our afflictions. In verses 1 through 3, all of Israel is called to remember their history of affliction. Notice the let Israel now say. This isn't just a personal lament. This is communal. And this remembrance is an honest view of their sufferings. They admit twice that their affliction was great. This isn't sugarcoating, right? This isn't sugarcoating their suffering to sound pious. Psalmist also says here that their affliction has been from their youth. So not only great, it's been long. The language of youth here is a very important reference in the history of Israel. It's a reference to their suffering in Egypt. The prophet Hosea makes reference to this when he spoke of Israel's repentance. Hosea 2.15, he says, The people would repent as in the days of her youth at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Scholars believe this psalm is referencing this verse here, this reference of youthfulness. Hosea 11.1 repeats this theme. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So by saying here that their affliction had been since their youth, the psalmist reminds Israel of their suffering under Egypt, making a direct reference to Hosea. 
He's saying, you know, since the earliest days of our nation, we have been afflicted. Remember the years of the wilderness. Remember the wars to take the promised land. Remember even the wars and sin under David. That was supposed to be the height of the kingdom. And then the division of the kingdom after Solomon, the exile and the suffering in Babylon. Think of all the afflictions we have read and seen in Daniel. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. The imagery that follows here in verse 3 is farming imagery. The psalmist pictures the back of Israel as a field, right? And those who had afflicted them had made their furrows, their, their plow lanes long. There was no mercy. There was no relenting. But notice, just before that imagery, we have this statement. Yet they have not prevailed against me. All these many years of suffering at the hands of others, all these many years of afflictions, yet the Lord preserved them. They suffered, but they prevailed from their youth to this day. And this, too, is an honest view of their afflictions. They admit that their affliction was great. They admit that their affliction was long. It was unrelenting. But they also confess that their afflictions have not prevailed. To live by faith and not by sight is to have an honest assessment, an honest view of our afflictions and the providence of God in preserving us through them. An honest view of the of our afflictions like we should have as well. Like the Israelites have here. Not only seeing the greatness of our afflictions, right, admitting to one another and to ourselves that our afflictions are in fact great, rather than just putting on a smile and faking it until you make it, but also remembering the mercy of God in preserving us through them. We see both of these truths, the greatness of our affliction and the mercy of God in Christ. This psalm shows us the earthly afflictions of Israel to, show, to, to typify, to show as a type, to point forward to the afflictions of Christ. Like those in this psalm, Christ was afflicted even from his youth. If you remember, when he was a child, his family had to flee Herod, right? In Matthew 2, we read in verse 14, Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Should sound familiar. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. So this psalm makes a direct reference to Hosea and the afflictions of the people in Egypt, out of which Hosea says God called his son. And Matthew says that the, that the fulfillment of that text is found in the affliction of Christ. Just as Israel was afflicted from their youth, just as you too will be afflicted. So Christ was afflicted even from infancy. Here, too, the language in this psalm of plowers, making their, their plowing lanes, their furrows long on the backs of Israel. This is language, this is an imagery, a picture that we find throughout the prophets, especially in Isaiah and the suffering servant. It was Christ who gave his back to be struck, right? Smitten and afflicted. It was Christ who, Isaiah says, made his back as the ground to be passed over. 
Yet just the same, the enemy did not prevail. Christ, being the righteous Son of God, was resurrected, conquering even the greatest affliction, death itself. Here is an honest view of your afflictions. These earthly afflictions of Israel don't only point forward to Christ, but to your afflictions as well. It is through affliction and suffering that we are brought to glory. If it was true for Israel, if it was true for for Christ, then it will be true for us as well. You know, it's been said, God had only one son who was without sin, but never a son without sorrow. And while affliction may come from the world or even from within the church, it comes from the hand of God and it prepares us for glory. It is through affliction that we prevail, not around it. And so, do not judge God's favor of you by sight. By your afflictions. As if you are an old covenant Israelite. Judge it by the cross. By Christ, the man of many sorrows. To live by faith and not by sight is to understand your relationship with God. Not according to your circumstances, but according to Christ's afflictions. This is an honest view of your afflictions. Does it feel like your afflictions will never end? Christ was afflicted from his youth. Does it feel like you're being crushed under your suffering, your sorrow, even your sin? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief and by his wounds we are healed. Brothers and sisters, our God assumed human flesh. And suffered as you are suffering. Even to the point of death. Yet without sin. And he prevailed. And so will you. No matter how big or small your afflictions seem to you or others. They are big enough to God. For Christ to suffer on your behalf. That you would be preserved through them. That your faith would be preserved through them. This is an honest view of our afflictions. To know their greatness, to know their unrelenting pain, yet to know more deeply the mercies and peace of God in Christ. While this psalm reminds the people of their great affliction, it prophesied of the affliction of Christ. And so when your sin, when your affliction, when your suffering reminds you of their greatness, remember that God's grace is greater. The psalm teaches us to live by faith and not by sight. Not by expecting a life without affliction. But through our afflictions with Christ. Looking to Him. To live by faith and not by sight begins with an honest view of our suffering. And so it must also include remembering our deliverance. This is our second point this evening, remembering our deliverance by God. Remembering our deliverance by God. And we see this in verse 4. It's right in the middle of the psalm. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords 
of the wicked. So continuing the farming picture here, the psalmist says that God has cut the cords of the wicked. These are the cords, the ropes that would be around the neck of the oxen as it plowed and worked on the farm. And God has cut loose Israel from the wicked ropes of the plowers. Once again, the psalmist is reminding the Israelites that the enemy did not prevail. But here, he gives a reason why. The Lord is righteous. R.C. Sproul defined the righteousness of God as the moral excellency of his character. What God does is always consistent with who God is. You can see how this would be a great comfort for the Israelites. They know that God is a God of compassion and deliverance. They've seen that in the past. Now they're facing suffering once again. And so they rely on God's righteousness to be consistent with his character and to deliver them. But again, key to understanding this psalm is covenant theology. Right here, in this verse, we have the reason for their deliverance and the reason for their affliction. If you remember in Daniel chapter 9 when Daniel was praying, verses 13 and 14, he said this, The Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. It is the Lord who has brought this affliction upon them. The Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. The old covenant was not just a material and earthly covenant, it was also a covenant of works. Israel knows that the righteousness of God that brings them salvation is also the righteousness of God that brings them judgment. Because God's deliverance of them was entirely contingent upon their righteousness measuring up to God's. It is this righteousness that Daniel says is the cause of their suffering in Babylon because of their own unrighteousness. So at the same time that this is a great comfort, right? Knowing who God is and knowing that he has cut the cords of the wicked, this is also their greatest fear. They know exactly who God is and they know that they are often the wicked. And in this covenant, that means judgment for them. This is one of the main differences, though, between the Old and New Covenants. While God is the same in the Old and the New, right? God does not change. The relationship, how he relates to his people, does. In the Old Covenant, the righteousness of God stood against the people with all of its conditions. But in the New, it stands in our place in Christ. Christian, you must read this text as a new covenant believer and not an old covenant Israelite. You must read this text in light of the New Testament that interprets for us the righteousness of God. Where do we as Christians see the righteousness of God? Is it in His judgment of you? Is it through the law that declares you wicked? Yes. But does God judge in the same way? Are you Assigned to judgment in hell if you're a Christian? Where do we see the righteousness of God? Romans 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the righteousness of God which has cut the cords of the wicked off of your back. And he did this through the afflictions of Christ that we've already seen. And so the righteous will live not by their own merits, but by faith in Christ who was afflicted as their substitute. In the Old Covenant, this psalm served as a partial warning, right? God will cut the wicked from you, but if you're wicked, you will be cut away. But in the New Covenant, this verse is gospel. God has cut the cords of the wicked from you. If you have faith in Christ, God has cut the cords of wicked from you by crushing His Son in your place. By giving you His righteous robes. But what does it mean that God has cut the cords of wicked from us? We still suffer, right? We're still persecuted by the wicked. I mean, even our own wickedness causes us pain. Some days it doesn't feel like any cords have been cut. Well, it means that what we might expect as comfort in our affliction isn't really found here. Christ never promised the church that we would not face affliction. He never promised you that you would not see sorrow. And neither does this psalm. Here is what we are promised. Your afflictions do not dictate your righteousness before God. They may still make their furrows long on your back, but they do not own you. Their cords are cut, and your identity is not in your suffering, but in Christ. Whether that is persecution from the world or suffering here within the church, your identity is in Christ who suffered on your behalf. And so your comfort in life is not that you will not face affliction. It is that no matter the afflictions that you face, God is righteous, the just and the justifier of the ungodly. No matter how long their furrows on your back, no matter how deep the gashes of sin and sorrow, Christ's body had deeper gashes still. No matter how ugly life gets for you, the robes of Christ still cover you if you have faith in Him. You may be lonely, hated by the world, suffering all sorts of afflictions, tired and sorrowful. You may be dying, but you are right with God entirely entirely by his free grace alone and remembering this is key to living by faith and not by sight the psalm then teaches us to live by faith and not by sight through your afflictions by the grace of God until he comes again and that's where this psalmist turns next To live by faith and not by sight begins with an honest view of our afflictions, looking to Christ who was afflicted. It means remembering our deliverance in Christ as well. And finally, to live by faith and not by sight is to live in hope of glory. So third and final point this evening, hoping in the day of the Lord. Hoping in the day of the Lord. 
So having reminded the people of their past affliction here and of God's deliverance in verses 5 through 8, the psalmist begins to speak judgment on the enemies who afflict them now. He begins to look forward to a day of judgment upon them, and he's speaking it confidently on those who hate them. You know, up to this point, we've been talking about Israel's affliction in a more general term. But notice that this psalm begins not with general affliction, but with those who have afflicted me. Here in verse 5, those who afflict the people have been those who hate Zion. Note here that this could be the nations, uh, could be the world, could be the culture, could also be someone within Israel. In fact, verse 8, at the very bottom there, the blessing that's said there wouldn't really be said to the nations or to Gentiles. That, that would be a blessing that you would say to a fellow Israelite. Regardless, here the psalmist says to those who hate God's people, both out there and within, may you all be put to shame, he says, put to shame and turned backward. This is military language. He's going to pick back up on the the farming language there, but first he, he speaks of war. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, you've been plowing, you've been farming, but our God has gone to war and you will be destroyed he has already cut your cords and he will put a complete end to you verses 6 through 8 continue this destruction language but he returns to that farming metaphor once more at that time people their, their ceilings their roofs were made of dirt right so grass would grow on the roofs, but there was no root for the grass to actually stay, and so it would wither very, very quick. So the psalmist says here that the reaper, he doesn't fill his hand with this grass, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, because it just withers away so quickly. It doesn't grow to any length or success. And here the psalmist says, may our enemies be like that. They have risen up against us, but our God will strike them down before they even have time to succeed in their plots. And he ends with this blessing in verse 8. It's a blessing said at that time to those reapers. And we read this exact blessing in Ruth, in fact. But here, it's, it's missing. In fact, it's reversed. Instead of blessing, there's judgment. And so the psalmist looks forward to a day when God will bring dishonor to the enemies, when their enemies would have no success like the grass that withers, and when there will be judgment instead of blessing. Well, this language here of turning backward, of of complete judgment, of complete destruction of the enemies, this is language of the day of the Lord. A day when God would come and judge the wicked and bless the righteous. It was the hope of the Israelites, and it remains our hope as well. Brothers and sisters, a day is coming. And just like this psalmist, we too can look forward to the day of the Lord and pronounce judgment on our enemies. This is a day that's already begun in Christ's death and resurrection. On that day, our enemy, 
our enemy, the one who has hated Zion and Christ himself, who wages war against the church through the nations and even in our own midst in sin and disunity. His power will finally come to an end and he will face the full weight of the righteous judgment of God. To live by faith and not by sight is to hope in that day. On that day, Satan will be put to shame, as the psalmist says here. He will be turned back in judgment. All of his schemes and all of, all of his schemes and all of your sins will wither like grass on rooftops. And all of your afflictions will be turned to blessing. Instead of judgment, you will receive the crown of life. Because when Christ comes again, what we know now by faith, we will see by sight. Now we live by faith and not by sight. But on that day, we will live by sight. Now the Israelites know that God has delivered them, and so they say with confidence here that he will deliver them again in the greatest deliverance, the day of the Lord. Now you know by faith in Christ that Christ is with you through your afflictions, that he has been afflicted on your behalf. And if you have faith in Christ, one day... You will walk with Him and you will see the scars of His affliction. You will see God who is righteous. Now you have faith that you are right with God and declared righteous no matter your afflictions. On that day you will hear Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven. Now all that you see and experience is often wickedness, right? From the world, the wickedness in you. Suffering and affliction, but on that day there will be a new creation and you will be without sin. When we see God, we will love Zion, the church, with an unfailing, unafflicted love. We will never be put to shame, but we'll pass by one another and say, Oh, the blessing of the Lord is upon us. The grass and flowers will wither and fall. Even your own sin, schemes of the devil, affliction, these will all wither and fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And what He has declared you to be, forgiven in Christ by faith, that you will ever be. The psalm teaches us to live by faith, not by sight. Through our afflictions, not around them, by the grace of God and not our own merit, and in hope of glory, not just the end of our trials, but the end of all sorrow, sadness, sin, and affliction. We do not lose heart, for we walk by faith and not by sight, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, Paul says, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What we see is affliction, loneliness, persecution, sin, and death. It's what Israel saw. It's what our Savior saw as well. But what we know by faith is that our Savior saw far more than affliction. He saw glory. And because you are united to Him by faith, you too will see glory. He was righteous and declared righteous and has declared you righteous as well. And you will prevail. 
You may feel like the world, your sin, Satan himself, or even death is plowing long furrows across your back. That the cords are still around your neck. And that's your, that's your identity. Your suffering is so all-encompassing. But know this by faith. While Satan and sin has been out farming, our God has gone to war in Christ. And He will win. Death itself will lose. He will prevail. Sin will wither and be gone forever. Until that day, live by faith in this truth and not by sight in your circumstances. Live as a new covenant Christian and not an old covenant Israelite. With an honest view of your afflictions and those of Christ. Remembering that you're righteous and delivered in Christ and hoping, looking with hope to the day when He will come again when all affliction and sorrow will cease. And may God grant us patience until that day. And may the church say as one, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,